Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn once again to the book of Leviticus. And this morning we are in chapter 15. If this is your first Sunday here with us at Grace, while we do not apologize in any way, shape, or form for the Word of God, be prepared that we have been in the book of Leviticus since January, and we come to a particularly interesting passage of Scripture before us this morning. There were some about a month ago that were um, questioning whether I was being unduly harsh on our associate, Pastor Luke, to give him chapter 12, and perhaps those individuals had not yet read chapter 15. But here we are in chapter 15 together this morning, and so we want to see what God's Word has for us this morning together as we gather. Leviticus chapter 15, and I just want to read verse 31, because I believe that is the key verse in this passage, and also perhaps because it is the least problematic. Leviticus chapter 15 and verse 31, thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. This is the word of God. The sermon this morning is entitled Whole. And I want to look at this concept of wholeness. Really, from chapters uh, 12 through 15, we have been seeing this smaller reality, which is part of the bigger reality of this book, which is how do unclean, impure, sinful people live in the presence of a thrice holy God? Or perhaps to put it oppositely, how does a holy God live in the midst of an unholy people? And so, we have looked through a number of different uh, realities related to that, and we come here this morning to this reality of wholeness. And so in verse 31, our first point this morning is wholeness and uncleanness. And if I could illustrate wholeness for you this morning, those of you that know me well may know this, those of you who do not know me so well may think that I'm lying, but I am actually introverted, which means not that I am necessarily shy, that's what people usually think of when they think of introverts, but for me, human interaction takes energy from me. Extroverts gain energy through human interaction. Introverts don't mind human interaction uh, all the time, <laughs> but uh, to interact with other people does deplete their energy. And so for me, one of my social nightmares, I guess, is to be in a situation where I don't know anybody and it's sort of some sort of public type of gathering. And so a number of years ago, we were invited down to uh, the Delta and PEI for an event and I was seated at a table, all with strangers, and uh, outside, I'm smiling and interacting and having a good time, but inside, uh, I would rather be anywhere else but at that table. And you might find that odd based on what God has called me to do uh, in his service, 
But as the comedian Jerry Seinfeld has said, I can talk to all of you, I just can't talk to any of you. Now, those that I know, obviously, I'm quite happy to converse with. I enjoy people, but uh, it does take energy from me. And again, in those social circumstances where I don't know anybody, especially at events such as that, it's difficult. That's an approximation of the reality of wholeness or unwholeness. That on the outside, we may be feeling one way, but on the inside, we're feeling another We may appear confident, we may appear relaxed and happy, but inside we are anything but. In this passage, as with the other passages uh, through this section of the book of Leviticus, the reality is that there is a separation. There there are two segments, at least, that are going on uh, with the individuals that are in view here. And so that's sort of an illustration of what it means to be whole or not whole. Now, uncleanness, as we have discussed before, is not sin, but uncleanness is as a result of the effects of sin. So we have walked through childbirth, skin disorders, mold and fungus, any number of realities in the book of Leviticus, and here we come to this passage in chapter 15, which has to do with a lot of intimate realities, intimate medical uh, realities. These things are not in and of themselves sinful. To be unclean is not to be dirty. To be rendered unclean is not to be saying that there is a moral impurity. It is, though, to realize the fact and deal with the fact that there are uh, effects of sin on us now since the fall. And those effects show up in many different ways. And so uncleanness, we must remember throughout this passage as others, is not sin, but it's simply the results of the effects of sin. In the second place then, under this point this morning, sinners are not whole. Now, what I mean by this, from our verse, verse 31, God says to Moses and Aaron, you must keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness. There's a duality here at play. Where individuals in the nation of Israel have been blessed by the grace of God. They have been brought out of Egypt with God's mighty hand, with ten plagues. They have experienced much more from the hand of God, provision of food and water and many other realities. And so they have been recipients of God's grace. And yet, there is still a duality present in them. Although they are, we could say, saints, they are still, practically speaking, experientially sinners. There is not perfection in them, and so they are not whole. Now, of course, those that have not been recipients of God's grace are wholly given over to sin. There's not a duality there. It's it's exclusively sinful. But here in the case of the nation of Israel, as with those that are in Christ, there is still present this duality, this lack of completeness. God, of course, is holy. And that means a number of things. Certainly there's a moral dimension to that. There is an otherness dimension to that. But another dimension to that is this reality that he is complete in himself. There's nothing that is varied in God. 
In fact, James will say there's not even any variableness in God. The King James would say not a shadow of turning. There's not even a hint that God is other than what he actually is. There's no duplicity in God. There's no deception in God. What you see is what you get. That is not the case with sinners. We are still in our sin duplicitous. There are ways in which we portray something as being this, but it is actually that. And it is this that is the focus of this whole section and also this passage. And so God says to the leadership of Israel, Israel needs to be kept separate from their uncleanness. Because those who enter God's presence in the third place must be whole. God does not lower his standards. He lowers himself to come to us, to bring us to the point where we can meet his standards through him, or he meets those standards on our behalf, we could better say. But God does not lower himself. He does not lower his standards. He does not lower holiness to match our unholiness. And so as we have seen through the sacrifices and through all of the the book of Leviticus up to this point, the tabernacle is to be kept holy, is to be kept separate. It is the place where God's presence resides. His Shekinah glory is present there in the midst of an unholy people. And in that tabernacle complex, there must be wholeness. There must be holiness. There can be no duplicity. There can be no stink of death. It must only be that which approximates God's character, reflects who he is, and celebrates life. And so anything that has the effects of sin on it, God says, must be kept from his presence. And notice in the fourth place that the consequence then for sin is death. Notice what he says in verse 31, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. The consequences for sin are serious. They are death. Nadab and Abihu, a few chapters previous to this one, found that out in very abrupt fashion. God is not to be trifled with. God is love. God is mercy and grace, and thank God that he is. But God is also holiness, righteousness, and as the author of Hebrews says, a consuming fire. He's not to be toyed with. And so God comes to the nation of Israel throughout this entire section, in this chapter in particular, and says, to enter my presence, you must be whole. And if there is any uncleanness on you or in you, then that should not be entering into my presence. And the consequence for that is death. Now, if you're noticing parallels to us under the new covenant, then you are tracking well. Perhaps you may be asking why the book of Leviticus, and you've been asking that for quite some time. Because all of God's word is profitable, and we don't shy away from any of it. And we see in the Old Testament echoes. We see in the Old Testament the need for the new, and we rejoice more in the new by knowing the old. And so God is a holy God, and we are not whole. So notice in the second place then, the way that this passage is written is there are sort of bookends to the passage, 
And then there are sections that are the same in the sort of the second section dealing with men and the first section dealing with women. And then there is a hinge verse, verse 18. Very well structured, very purposefully structured. And so on the abnormal side of things, verses 1 through 15 and 25 through 30, we want to look at these bookends first. Here what God addresses is an extended lack of wholeness. This is an individual, either male or female, that has some sort of disease, some sort of uncleanness that is perpetual, goes beyond the norm. It is then abnormal or extended bodily discharges. They are not whole, physically. There is something that is wrong with them. It is a very private reality because it has to do with the genitals of, this, of humanity, of male and female. This is not an issue that everybody would know about. This is an issue that only the individual, probably, or perhaps their close family members might be aware of. And it is on them to recognize it. But it is something that goes beyond the norm. It is abnormal. In the second place, we are reminded once again that disease is an effect of sin. It is not that in this passage, these individuals have sinned and then been judged by God for these particular disorders or diseases. It is simply the reality that we live in a sin-cursed world, and because of that, there are certain effects of sin, and disease is one of those. In the third place under this point, we see that contagions mirror sin. We've already noted this in the discussion of the skin diseases. Sin spreads. Holiness does not. But sin spreads, and it spreads quickly. As we note from the New Testament, a little bit of yeast affects the entirety of the dough that it is placed in. A little bit of sin affects all around it. One of the many lies of Satan is that sin affects no one but you. And that is never true. Sin affects more than just you. And it spreads. And it spreads quickly. Sin goes deep. As we noted with the skin disorders, these types of contagions ravage and impact the body in a very deep way. These are not surface realities. In the case of the bodily discharges before us, they are in fact internal realities. And so as contagions are internal, oftentimes, or certainly go deep and impact the whole of the body, so sin is that way. It impacts all of us. And so this is part of the reality that God wants us to see, I think, from this passage. And notice in the last place, then, that God alone heals and provides atonement. As with the skin disorders... Nothing is said as to how these bodily discharges stop. We are not told. But it simply lets us know that when they do, there is a procedure for going from the category of unclean, not whole, to clean, whole, again. And in the case of both male and female, it is identical. A seven-day period of cleansing and then on the eighth day, the offering of a sacrifice. The sacrifice offered is the least expensive of any of the offerings. Two turtle loves or two pigeons. 
which shows perhaps that these particular discharges, these particular realities that lead to uncleanness are not as severe as other types of uncleanness. But in all of them there is a, um, a way of atonement, a way for a sin offering and a burnt offering to be offered to move an individual from the category of unclean to the category of clean. Now in verses 25 to 30, we have a New Testament story that makes a lot more sense when we know this passage. There is a woman who for 12 years has some form of a hemorrhage. She is bleeding frequently. And because of that, she has been put into the category of unclean based on this passage. She is not able to worship at the temple. She is not able to get close to God. And so as Jesus is going to heal someone else, this woman who it says in the passage has exhausted all of her financial resources to try to heal herself, says, if I can only touch Jesus' clothes, I may be healed. She does, and she is. And Jesus stops, and he says, who touched me? And the disciples are a bit incredulous. What do you mean, who touched you? We're in a throng of people. But Jesus knew, of course, that someone had been healed. And when the lady says, again, very perhaps shamed because of her status of uncleanness, and based on this passage in Leviticus, knowing that touching somebody else made them unclean, she says, it was me. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is he both upholds the law and fulfills it at the same time. Because he is clean in and of himself. He is the God-man. And her touching him did not make him unclean, but it made her clean. And what a beautiful reality. And so God alone heals and God alone provides for atonement. Don't read the book of Leviticus and don't read this passage seeing that God is doing everything he can to keep people from him because the opposite is true. God is doing everything he can to bring people to him, but there is a right way to do it, and one that is in his presence must be clean and whole. Notice in the third place then this morning, wholeness and the sanctity of life. In this middle section of verses 16 through 24, we see normal bodily discharges, if we can put it that way, and what the realities are for them. Question is, why do these normal bodily discharges, created by God with the purpose of procreation, for which he said to Adam and Eve, prior to the fall, go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. Why are these things considered rendering someone unclean? And that was certainly a struggle as I studied for this passage, but I do believe that I have the approximation of an answer for us this morning. I think in verses 16 and 17 and verses 19 and 23, which deal with normal bodily discharges in the course of living. The reality is there is a loss here of the possibility of life. Both in semen and in the blood, 
which we looked at, we looked at childbirth in chapter 12, there is a possibility there of life. And any loss of either of these two realities is the loss of a possibility of life. God prizes life. He is the source of life, and he is a life-giving God. He is the one that called all things into existence, and he is the one that breathed into the first human being the breath of life. And so to be in God's presence is to celebrate life. To be in God's presence with anything, however minute, that smells of death, which is the result of sin, is inappropriate. And so, that is why blood must be a part of the sacrificial system. The killing of the animals and the sprinkling of the blood. Life is celebrated in the presence of God. And death should not be in the presence of God. And so in these realities of life, anyone that has experienced these normal bodily discharges, because of their link to life and the loss thereof, there is a loss of the possibility of life that renders that individual unclean. In the second place, then, there is normal sexual activity between a man and his wife in verse 18. This is sort of the lynch verse, the hinge verse between all of these sections. And I believe here you have the potential loss of the possibility of life. There's no sacrifice required here or for the previous section or the section that comes after, but there is the reality of uncleanness because here you have the potential loss of the possibility of life. There is the possibility of life through uh, sexual activity, sexual intercourse, but at the time in which it takes place, that is not known. And so here we have the possibility or the potential loss of the possibility of life, which renders the couple unclean until the evening. And then in verse 24, we have the loss of the possibility of life revisited. A man has sex with his wife not knowing that it is at the beginning of uh, her menstrual period, and if that takes place inadvertently, they are both rendered unclean for seven days. And again, the reality there is there's a possibility of life, that there's the loss of that, and so that is also considered rendering someone unclean. God takes life very seriously. Unfortunately, our culture currently does not. And we'll be speaking more about that this evening, and as has been announced, I do invite you back tonight at 6.30, where we'll be looking at the sanctity of of life this evening. And so as we close this morning then, what does all of this mean? I think we can celebrate or we ought to celebrate this morning the reality that wholeness can only be attained through Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus Christ can we attain wholeness. Notice a few things from the passage. Men and women can equally become unclean and are equally able to attain wholeness. There is a falsehood that is leveled against Scripture, and perhaps in particular the Old Testament, and specifically passages such as these, that somehow God and followers of him treat women as less than men, and nothing could be further from the truth. 
you'll notice throughout this passage that it is equal in its reality of who is unclean and why, and the sacrifices for atonement are exactly identical. And even the length of time of uncleanness is identical, except for menstruation. But if a husband and a wife have sexual intercourse at the beginning of the menstrual period, it is the same for both. There is no inequality in this passage as it relates to why men and women are unclean, and there is no inequality on the atonement required for them to be rendered clean. All are equally uh, unclean before God, and all can equally become clean before Him. And so what a beautiful reality as we come into the New Testament, that in Christ there is neither Greek nor Jew, slave or free, male or female. There is no inferiority or superiority in God, in the family of God. Notice in the second place that God values all life, perhaps especially the most vulnerable. If there's even the possibility of a loss of life that renders those individuals unclean. Not dirty, not sinful, just dealing with the reality that if there is even a potential loss of life that must be cleansed, that must be uh, taken into account. And so again, our God is a God of life. Our God is the source of all life, and our God celebrates life. And anything that even is close to death, that has the stench of death on it, does not re reflect who God is and therefore should not be in his presence. Those are the third place then this morning that all of us, body and soul, must be made whole. There is a lot of confusion in our culture today. There are a lot of people who are taking to social media and other platforms to publicly display their confusion. They are not whole. They do not know who they are. They are hurting. And they do not deserve our derision, but they are, there is a call because of that for our compassion. The only way that we can know who we are is through the one who made us. The only way to wholeness is to be connected to our Creator. And the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is both God and man. He connects us to the one who made us. And apart from him, we do not know who we are. There is so much pain and hurt and confusion. And the way that our culture is saying that we should solve that is only making it worse. There is only one way, and his name is Jesus Christ. As sinners, we are not whole. We are divided. We are duplicitous, whether consciously or unconsciously. We say one thing and we do and are another. We are liars to our core. Only in Christ can we be transformed. 
Only in Christ can he make us like him, who is completely whole in himself. There is no duplicity in Jesus Christ. You don't go along with Jesus for a while and then you find out the secrets and the inside scoop and the things that you didn't see on the surface. Who Jesus is, he is all the way through. There is no division in Christ. And it ought to be the same with us. Because we are sinners, it is not. And so our only hope is Jesus Christ. And so lastly then, only Jesus can make us whole. Turn if you, with me if you would to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 as we close this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How is God described? He's described as the God of peace you have peace here this morning? And I'm not necessarily talking about that as you, far as you know this morning, there are no open conflicts in your life, although that is also good. I mean inside, internally, where no one else knows what is going on. Is there peace? Do you know who you are? Have you found your identity in Christ? God is the God of peace. And what is the prayer that Paul has for those at Thessalonica and through them to us that we would be set apart completely? This is the fulfillment of Leviticus 15:31. God comes to Moses and Aaron and say, "Keep Israel separate from their uncleanness." And Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone can do that. He can separate us from our uncleanness. He can transform us from sinners into saints. And he will do that work in us. And one day we'll complete that work in glory. And notice what is in view here. Your whole spirit and soul and body. All that you are. All that you are blameless before God through Jesus Christ by the Spirit. That is the reality, only through Christ. It is our prayer as the elders of Grace Baptist Church for everyone who is here this morning, for everyone watching online, that you would know the freedom and the life and the joy and the peace and the contentment in Christ and that in Him you would find your identity. Not in other relationships, not in your social status, not in your economic status, not in how many followers you have on your favorite social media platform, not on these and many other things, but that you would find your identity in Christ. That as you sit here this morning, you would be whole in him. If you do not know him, come to him this morning. And if you do know him, come to him this morning. He is our hope. He is whole. 
and only he can make us that way. Let's look to him in prayer this morning. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Your word does not shy away from any topic. Your word is truth. Your word reveals who we are. And your word reveals who you are. And we thank you for that. Father, your word is truth. In a sea of confusion, conflicting and contradictory voices that pummel our ears and our eyes daily, may we be rooted and grounded in truth. Your word is truth. You are truth. Your son, Jesus Christ, is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, may we run to you through him by your spirit. May we find our identity in him. One of the favorite phrases of your servant Paul in his letters is in Christ. Hundreds of realities that are true of those who are in Christ. Being made whole and one day made fully whole because of him. Father, I pray for peace, certainly peace in other contexts, but peace for those that are sitting here and those that are watching online, and any confusion they have about who they are will be cleared away by coming to know you through your Son, by your Spirit, and for those that do know you through your Son, by your Spirit. May they lean into that each and every day when so many other things try to pull us away. May you draw us close. Thank you for making us who are in you whole, for continuing to make us more whole, and for one day making us fully complete in you without even the desire for anything that is not you. What a glorious day that will be. Father, may we call others to this as well this week and always. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.